I'd like to start with 1 Peter 4.12 because it says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, and that word means, that word fiery means, in the Greek, it means burning hot metal that's in a forge. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, burning hot metal trial that when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange, something foreign, something unusual were happening to you. The word is saying that hard times, trials, things that test us shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Shouldn't be foreign to us. But I get blindsided all the time. I don't expect the unexpected. I get surprised by something that comes to test me, to try my faith, to to test my character. I get surprised. We go through these hard times, we go through these trials, we go through these storms like we talked last week. And sometimes the enemy comes in and adds his two cents to it. Lies to us. Gets us to start, maybe start to believe that God is not good. The storm is too big. We have many choices to do then. What will we do with those conflicting, troubling thoughts? And I start to wonder, I start to wonder sometimes when I'm going through something, I said, you know, didn't, didn't God promise that if I pray to him that all my wildest dreams would come true? Isn't that, in, isn't that in here? Hezekiah, I think, right? Hezekiah. No, he didn't promise that. What did he promise? He promised that you could cast all your cares on me. Let not your heart be troubled. Take heart. Remember we talked about this last week. Take heart. For I have overcome the world. You are more than conquerors. Much more than conquerors. Your sons and daughters. And I will never leave you or forsake you. These are the promises and there's so many more that we can count on. That we can depend on. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, pro- I profess, I proclaim my great need of you this morning. I feel the weight of you on me. And I want to be able to deliver your word. Father, I need you to empty me of me. 
We need your words of life. We need to understand your heart, your spirit, because nothing else will do. Nothing else can bring us out of darkness into light. Your love overwhelms us. And I thank you for that. Oh, Lord, we need you. So, Father, I ask, yes, again, you would help me deliver your word today. That I would understand your heart in this. And that you would all understand what you're trying to say to us. Teach us. Minister to us. And, Lord, uh, I... I know with great confidence that you will. Because you promised to never leave us or forsake us. You promised to send us the Comforter. And He's here. The Holy Spirit would come and lead us to all truth. So that's what we ask for this morning. All the truth that we can handle this morning. Because we're lied to it every day of our lives by the enemy, by the world. By advertising, by whatever. We are lying to Him. Well, Lord, we don't want us to come to that. But if we walk in all truth, we have no fears. Because it's yours. You give it. So, Father, prepare our hearts as we dive into something that I believe that you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm really going to try to get through this. Let's read Matthew 7, 13 and 14, our base scripture for this series on hard. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it, get it, understand it, are few. So far in this series that we learned that our heart is valuable. So precious to God, so wonderfully precious to God, that He asks us to guard it. To take care of it, to protect it. We learned... Last week that you know that there there are storms in our lives that that threaten to just destroy us, sink us. We learned that we had to guard our heart from being cold and stone like so it doesn't sink. So it doesn't sink when we, when we think Jesus is passing us by. So it doesn't sink when. We don't recognize Jesus for who He is. So it doesn't sink when we think that the storm is bigger than God Himself. We can guard against that. And we were supposed to take heart. It was a command with a promise. Take heart. Take it. Take command over it. Rule it. With the power and the authority that Christ has given us. 
And we found out that the best way to guard our heart, the absolute number, way, well, number one way to guard our heart was to, to take it and give it to the one who made it. The best way to guard our heart is to give it to the, to the Messiah. We learned all that. Still learning that probably, right? And yet, no sooner than when one storm leaves, there seems to be another one on the horizon just brewing. And surprise, it's coming straight for us. How do we guard our hearts when there seems to be a relentless wave of hard times crashing on the shores of our heart. How do we do this? How do we take heart? And those who are familiar with me, you know that God takes me on a strange route sometimes with sermon prep. He takes me all over the place. So I was thinking about this. I got to this point in, in, the, in sermon prep. I was like, Okay, God, how, how do we? I'm ready. He says, I want you to take a hard count. Okay. Hard count. Does that mean anything to anybody? At first, it didn't mean anything to me. And then, I thought about football. Vincent Lombardi used to uh, when he started every season, every new season, football used to go, men, this is a football. We catch the football. We hold on to the football. We run with the football. But you can't do any of that until you know that this is a football. One of the most successful coaches of all time started with fundamentals. So I said, okay, take a hard count. Grab a football. Okay, I, I grabbed a football. To take a hard count in football is really a, has everything to do with the quarterback. Most of you know the quarterback gets the ball and he's lining up behind center and he's calling out signals. Trying to get his teammates in the right formation so they can start to play, that they're going to run. And all these strange words that we might listen to when they might say, you know, Foxtrot, Bermuda, ice cream, whatever they're saying on the, uh, out there, they all have different ones, has numbers in it. And the quarterback actually has a cadence. He has a rhythm to it. Some, some of them are really good. They're actually kind of beautiful to listen to. Strange words, but they're kind of, the way they do it is really kind of cool. So he's got a cadence. He's got a rhythm going. But he wants to do a hard count. Because they need to gain five more yards to get a first down. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to draw the other team off sides. To cross the line of scrimmage before they're supposed to. That's a penalty. They get an instant five yards and they can get an easy first down. So what the, do, the quarterback will do, he'll get down here and he'll, instead of saying, he'll be saying, hup one, hup two, bermuda, hup one, hup two. And before he says the word hike or snap or whatever their code word is, to hike the ball, he'll do something different. He'll either start to say something louder 
or he'll do a little twitch in his arm, and the opposing team is looking at them saying, oh, he's about to hike it. We want to get a jump on it, so they'll rush ahead of time and commit the foul, the penalty. He's doing a hard count. Basically, he's trying to deceive the other team. He's trying to get them off balance. He's trying them to dictate the terms of gaining yards. I said, okay, that's great. That's awesome, God. Thank you so much for that. I don't understand. (laughs) So he led me to the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, go to the book of James. Chapter 1. The book of James is really cool. Because James doesn't mix any words. A lot of other scriptures have a long introduction. James has a very short introduction. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings, that's it. Then he gets right to business. Okay, we're going to start with chapter, oh no, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. I said, okay. That's starting to make a little bit more sense to me. So as those who are familiar with me, I like to take these scriptures apart. Let's just, just dissect these scriptures because I think we're going to understand what a hard count is as we approach how to go through a storm, how to protect our heart, how to guard our heart. Let's take this scripture apart. Count it all joy. That word count is actually not talking about putting things and going one, two, three. It actually means this. It means to command, to lead, to go before, and to rule over. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, when you fall into, when you're surrounded by something. Trials, And this is a, a test to prove your character, to test your character, to see how, how your character will respond to a hard thing of various kinds. Count, take command, to lead, to go before, to rule over. This sounds an awful lot like taking authority to me. Taking authority over our heart. Talking to our heart. You know, that whole concept about taking a heart, you know, it was, was, a, was a command by, by Jesus, take heart. This proves that we have authority over it. That God has given us authority of our own, our own heart. And how do we lead it? Well, we lead it with joy. Remembering another thing about God. 
The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We lead our heart by remembering that fact. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we count it as all joy when we go through something difficult. We take command of our heart and we, say, we tell our heart to remember where does our strength lie? It lies in Him. That's why we can count it as all joy because He is our strength. The joy of serving God, the joy of knowing God, the joy of experiencing God is our strength. And we take our heart and we say, hey, remember this. Remember this. Often when we're going through a hard time, a difficult time, I think we, 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 we struggle with a sense of purpose. Is there a purpose going through something? Is there, is there a purpose being tested this way? We start to have questions like, you know, why me? Why, why am I going through? Why now? All these questions about why, we start to lose a sense of that this thing that we're going through has any purpose or whatsoever. Why has this storm happened to me? And verse 3 says this, For you know that the testing, that word means to test your trustworthiness in a hard thing, the testing of your faith, your moral conviction, produces, produces, and that word means fashion or bring about. It brings about steadfastness, and steadfastness is patience with cheerful endurance. Cheerful endurance. Here's something that we can count on. When we're looking for a sense of purpose, here's something that we can count on. That struggles in hard times are not empty of purpose. Struggles in hard times are not empty of purpose. We can embrace hard times, the difficult things that we're walking through, and we can learn something that changes our life from that point on. There's a different kind of hard time, and it's the word consequences. We often don't like that word. Because it has to be a result of our choices of sin. But we can learn from that turn. We can turn and learn. Repent and return to God's heart. Remember we talked about that a few months ago. We talked about what repentance is. And both of these hard times we can embrace either embracing what we need to learn or embracing repentance and turning and learning. The whole point of that is that there is purpose in this. Because without purpose, sometimes we could lose hope. We could lose sight of what God is doing in the big picture. We have to understand that there is purpose in hard times. Trials can teach us purpose. It changes the, uh, the why me attitude into what can I learn from this, Father? 
changes that whole why me concept into, God, what do you want me to learn through this? What are you trying to teach me? What must I do? Instead of just, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? It really changes our, our perception, our eyesight. So we, maybe we come to grips with this. Okay, I get that, Jay. I understand that. Okay, okay, I'm supposed to embrace this moment because I'm going to learn something. But how long? How long am I supposed to be hanging on to this? How long am I embracing here? Is it a quick hug? Side hug? Or a bear hug? Just how long am I supposed to embrace this suffering gig? Because you know what? It's not... Verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full, complete, finished effect. The work of someone's hands. And guess who work that is? That you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I'll say that again. Lacking in what? Nothing. Nothing, nothing in the Greek means nothing. In the Hebrew, it means nothing. In Klingon, it means nothing. And in English, it means nothing. Lacking in nothing. We have to let it. It's a choice again. Remember I told you one of the greatest things that God gave to human beings was choice? It's also the most dangerous thing. But when it's used for good, we let steadfastness have its full effect, its complete effect. Every once in a while, most of you know my story. I, 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 it was hard growing up in what I grew up in. But every once in a while, you meet, you meet someone that has a harder story than you. Yesterday, I talked to a 90-year-old man about the Battle of the Bulge. Man. About him losing a few of his buddies and watching them burn to death. And for years, he wouldn't talk about it, any of his experiences. He kept his story quiet. He saw no purpose in it. And it was only recently, in his late 80s and 90s, that he's realizing that his story has purpose. It was hard. He suffered greatly during the war, after the war. We talk about being in the battle, he actually was in. And yet he as he was telling me this story and he was crying and he was expressing, you know, I, I just finally realized that I had to tell my story because it mattered. that there was actually purpose in his suffering. And that was to educate the next generation. Folks, your story matters. What you have suffered, what you are suffering, what you will suffer, it all matters. There is purpose 
in the suffering. Look, I don't like it. I would rather not go through any more hard times. Truthfully, as a human being, I would rather not do it. As a son, however, I realized that, you know what, this is part of the deal. (laughs) It is a hard way that leads to life. And there's purpose. Because our stories matter. And it is a great testimony to the faithfulness of God that He would produce steadfastness in me through a difficult thing. So that others could be blessed. Could be educated about God. There is purpose in there. Your story matters. So... However long has you holding on and hugging, hold on. Because you're really holding on to Him. Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that we are His handiwork, created way before time began in order that we might do good works. Our stories, our lives, the things that we go through, the things that we find how faithful God is during those things... These things matter. And they're purposeful. All right. You're with me so far. You said, okay. All right. I'm going to hold on. I'm, not, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on to God says not to hold on anymore. I'm, I'm there with you, Jay. My story matters. Yes, it, it matters. It matters. I'm, I'm, I'm with you so far. But you know what? I sometimes get lost. I feel lost. I don't know. I don't have a clue how to go through this storm. I'm willing to go through it. I'm going to hang on to whatever thing that I have. I'm going to hold on to God, but I have no clue on how to do this. Absolutely none. How do I make it through? Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let, you, let them ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If any of you lacks, that means fail or leaves behind. Wisdom, that means full of intelligence and the ability to learn. Let him ask, and that word is beautiful, it means to crave, to desire. Crave and desire. I, just, I, I, love, I love that. Let him crave and desire God who gives generously, bountifully, overflowing, to all without reproach, without grinning his teeth. God is not up there going, oh, he's asking you for wisdom again. <laughs> Won't he get it? Getting tired of it. No. God is generous. And he wants to give bountifully. He wants to heap wisdom on us. because he, First of all, he knows we need it. But he's, he's a God who gives. God so loved, he gave. So he wants to give us wisdom. He wants to teach us. Can we, can we grab a hold of that? This morning? That there is wisdom beyond your imagination that God can give you to help you get through a storm or anything. 
And all we have to do is ask, crave, desire it. See, this is deeply relational that God is talking about here. This is the beauty of it all. This word is saying that we need to be teachable. We need to be able to follow instructions. We need to be humble to ask for help. With men, that's a difficult thing. And we trust the God who can walk on water, who can calm the sea and calm any storm that we're walking through. Some beauty stuff, some beauty stuff. All right. Okay, I'm getting this. I need to be teachable. I need to ask God. How do I ask God? Verse 6. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. That word means to withdraw from or to desert. For the one who doubts, for the one who deserts, for the one who withdraws himself from me, it's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We don't want to become one with the storm. And that's what that scripture is warning us again. We want to rise above the storm. We want to be like Jesus and walk on the water. We don't want to become one of the waves and one of the wind. We want to be the storm. No, no. We're more than conquerors, remember? He would never leave us or forsake us, remember? No. Faith. Our faith in Him. Faith in that we know He can help us face down the storm. Okay. How do we face down the storm then? We need to remember that He will not leave us alone or powerless. He would not leave us alone or powerless. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, that no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That, is, that should become us a big surprise. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted. And that word means leave you alone. Beyond your ability, beyond your power. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you might be able to endure it. That phrase, the way of escape, is, is a Greek term that means to take the appropriate steps. To take the appropriate steps to get out of a certain situation. It may take a long time. It may take a short time. But you... The way of escape is the appropriate steps, the steps that God knows we need to take in order to overcome and walk through these difficult times that we might be walking through. The appropriate steps for me might be different than for you. The timing might be different. But it is the way of escape. It's the way that God gets us from point A to point B. And he's with us in that process because he won't leave us alone. He will provide the power that we need. He would, we always heard, he would provide the wisdom that we need. He would also provide the power that we need in order to get through a storm. That whole phrase is really about two words together that talk about 
a way out but with a pace. A pace. Sometimes you're walking fast through a storm. Sometimes you're walking like you. I often walk like that, actually. That's a... Wow. What else do we need? We need to worship. There's purpose in worship. Not only are we adoring the, the God who loves us, worship does this wonderful, beautiful, absolutely awesome thing. It takes these two things, eyes, and gets them off of me and places it on him. I love the lifting of my head. I'm no longer looking at the storm. I'm looking at the one who can calm the storm. So worship does this wonderful, beautiful thing of lifting my head so I can see God. Remember what we said about the pure in heart? They shall see God. What will they see? They will see Him working. They will see Him doing the things that God does. So worship does this wonderful thing about lifting our heads. And there's purpose in that. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says this, Blessed, or praise, be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. And God of all comfort, that God of all comfort, that word comfort means to call near. That's how God comforts us. He gets us close, up close and personal. Who comforts us, who draws us near, calls us near, in all our affliction, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. A heart that worships connects its heart. Remember we talked about syncing up of the heart. Sinks up its heart with Father God's heart. And it moves with the same compassion that He has. That's what worship does. Gets our eyes off of us. Onto Him. We start to see God. We start to see like God sees. Our heart is lifted up to Him in worship. It starts to synchronize with His heartbeat. It starts to beat like His. It starts to act like His. And now we have compassion like Him. And we can comfort other people in their storms. Worship is extremely purposeful. And it's wonderful of God that it's about adoring Him. It's about just loving on Him and just exalting Him for how great He is. And he says, you know what? But it does something to you in the same time. It changes your heart to look like mine. It's beauty stuff. This is beauty stuff. How else do we face down a storm? We, we need to pray because it keeps us from losing heart. 
Luke 18.1 says he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. The story about the widow and the judge is a, um, a, a great object lesson. Jesus knows that his disciples are going to face huge obstacles. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be hunted down and killed, most of them. And in the process of all this, they have great temptation to lose heart. So he instructs them with this story, saying, you know what? You've got to pray all the time. It'll keep you from losing heart. It'll keep you from losing heart. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Here's another command. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word, first word for prayer there means worship, to make a proclamation. To make a proclamation. The word supplication means prayer or seeking God. We learned that the word guard actually means a watcher, someone that hems you in and protects you. Do not let your heart, do not be anxious about anything. That pretty much covers it. (laughs) Don't be anxious about anything. Because I got this. I've got you. You're not going through anything alone. You're suffering, but you're it's for a purpose. Believe me, trust me. It's for a purpose. The storm is not bigger than me. Nothing is bigger than me. And I'm going to give you a peace. I'm going to give you a shalom peace. A peace that affects your entire being. Mind, body, soul, and spirit, and heart. Everything about you. Your relationships. Your possessions. Your health. Shalom talks about all that. I'm going to give you a peace that passes all understanding. You won't be able to comprehend it, and that's okay. Just accept it, receive it, and walk in it. Wow. So what is God saying in all this? Don't let the size of the storm, don't let your pain, your shame pass your hurts. Don't let any of that keep you from coming to me. Don't let any of that keep you deserted or withdrawn from me. I am calling you near so I can comfort you. I am in the boat with you so I can comfort you, so I can teach you so I can instruct you, so I can give you what you need, the power and the faith that you need to get through the storm. And I'm also going to make you aware 
of why you're going through the storm. I'm going to give you insight. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you all that you need. According to what? His riches in? God is extremely rich. There isn't anything that God needs. But He's a generous God and He wants to give us so much. And we're threatened with hard times like we've been talking about. This, you know, this, is, this is hard life. This is, there's a lot of things. All of us can make a list today. Easy make a list of the hard things that we might be facing. We could have that list. That list could be 20 pages long. And all we have to do and write in the other column is God. I think that's what he's saying. It does, it, it's not like God says, I'm not concerned about your hard times. Come on. Man up. Woman up. No, God is saying, I understand this. You know what? Uh, no one's walked through a harder time than Jesus. No one did. No one took on the sins of the world. It says that we have a high priest who's quite aware of what we're going through. We can come to him. We can draw near to him. And he's going to comfort us. He's going to give us the things that we need to be able to face down our storms. And to walk close by him. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you... Man, you just love on us. So we receive your love today. We, we say, Father, please, pour it all out on us. Saturate us with your presence, with your love. With your, you, you're the Father of mercies, the, the Word said. And your mercies are new every morning. It's too much to take in. Too much to imagine, but Father, we accept it. I pray for all of us. I pray for our hearts that we would take heart this morning in what you have provided for us to be able to go through storms, hard times, difficult times. We can do it by remembering your promises. We can do it by worshiping. We can do it by praying. We can do it by just giving our hearts to you and saying, Father, take it. Please take it. It is yours. Surrender is the best position we can be in tonight, Lord. So we surrender to you. Help us remember what your word says about who you are. So bless the people here today as they leave. I pray you would bless their day today, bless their week. I pray, Father, no matter where they turn, what way they look, they will feel you and see you. They would know your great love for them. And that whenever a, a, a trial is coming up, that they will, they will remember to worship you. They will remember to pray. They will remember to trust. And remember what you, you have done in their lives up to this point. And they would call to remember and say, no, this is what God has done, and this is what he's going to do. And we put all our trust in you. We thank you for this, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're blessed.